Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. Our Monday, May 6th, 29th edition of Invest Talk. And I thank you all for joining us. And I hope you call in with your questions this hour. And I know it's going to go by quick, it always does. And our job, or your job, is simply to help me shape the show to your liking. And you do this by giving me a call, whether that's live or after hours. So you're either shaping or a future show. You can call, as always, at 8899 chart 888-992-4278. And if you do that, we are better able to serve you, the listener, and help you move you, your your life towards a path of financial freedom. And we do this with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So this hour is dedicated to you. And we're going to do this one step at a time. And once again, our anytime listener line is open at 888-99-CHART. Now, today's main headline is Verizon wants to sell Tumblr after never really putting much into it. And we're going to talk about that and what lessons it can give you in corporate acquisitions and whether they can be a source of good for a business or be a source of bad. And it can cut both ways, just like everything in life, right? So we're going to discuss that. I also have some other items on my docket. One is three different retirement income strategies and just general uh, philosophies, general ideas of, of how to best produce income in retirement. There's different ways of doing it. It's not just straightforward. We're going to talk about that. Also, the pros and cons of having a mortgage or carrying a mortgage. There are pros, there are cons. League bubble bursting or content bubble bursting. We're going to talk about that. I think all those topics are very interesting in today's market environment. You know, income environment's tough. Changing tax law has changed mortgages in in many ways. And then sports is our daily lives for most of us. And it shapes uh, our society in, in many ways. So we're going to touch on that as well. So I want to talk to you about what's on your mind, however. Okay, so that's most important. And let's take a look at some market news. We obviously had the trade war flames reignited over the weekend after President Trump blamed slow progress in trade talks and He's trying to add $200 billion 
in tariffs on Chinese goods, and he's saying that 25% tariff will start Friday. And it used to be, it was set at 10%. Now it's going to go to 25%. And this could be viewed as a threat, and clearly that's what the market tested as. Why? Because the market really rebounded and closed uh, closed down only modestly. So clearly the market doesn't believe Trump. He thinks he's bluffing. Right? So he postponed the decision to raise clearly indicating that he wants a deal. And he thinks that the Chinese also need a deal. Not a deal, but they need a deal. That's his assessment of the situation. Now, I'm sure he's doing this with a couple things, a couple tailwinds at his back. One is, you know, economy that still continues to grow relatively strong, very low unemployment, and, and stock market near all-time highs, which he always sees as right by the economy. You could argue different. I might argue different, but that's how he believes it. So he's leverage and some political cover. Even New York Senator Chuck Schumer has come out and said he agrees with Trump's hard stance on China. So he feels emboldened to push And these are his negotiation tactics. Are they going to work? I don't know. But the market feels like, or is acting like, they're going to On Friday, the North Koreans executed a short-range missile test. And Trump didn't really respond too much. The U.S. is going to send theirs there. But... Didn't what wasn't really inflammatory, like he has been in the past, especially towards North Korea. So that was a positive. So not a whole lot was made out of a weekend that really had a lot of geopolitical negatives from the trade war and North Korea, but. Not a whole lot came out of it. So, like I said, the market was down slightly after being down. I think the, the Dow was down over 500 points in, in the afternight session. And what did we close down? Uh, uh, we closed down... Where are we? 66 points? The closed down anywhere from a quarter to half a percent. Now, as you can tell, there's a lot of interesting market news today. But first, let's grab a question from our anytime listener line at 888 99 My wife had a 401k we had to roll over. What I'd like to know is, are there any restrictions on where I can roll it over to or what I can do with, with their shares? Can I move it anywhere I like or do I have to be restricted on what I do with it? Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bye. 
Well, you can roll it over to any major broker, that's for sure. Uh, you can also open it, open a an IRA. Um, what do they call it? I forgot the name of it. I don't know why I'm having that mental blank right now. But basically, you can use it to uh, invest in real estate. Um, other assets, investing in your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, CDs, etc. So I would stick with that, that route, um, but there, there's really no restrictions on where you can. It could be at your bank, credit union, it could be at a brokerage firm. Those are typically where your IRAs are going to be set up. And then it's up to you to decide how you invest it. All in one mutual. You can diversify, which you probably should. You can do a covered call strategy, which is what we do uh, for clients, especially rollover IRA clients. It's a great way to earn income in this market. So there's a lot of strategies you can deploy and not a whole lot of restrictions. And that's why it's always great to be able to roll your 401k, which is typically restricted into 10, 20 mutual funds into an IRA that opens you up to a lot more possibilities. Now you're listening to Invest Stock. I'm Justin Klein and Steve Peasley has set a date for his return to San Jose. He had a full calendar in San Jose on June 12th to conduct his no-cost portfolio review consultations. He already has two appointments on the calendar and he's trying to fill that up as fit quickly as possible. You can register and remember you don't have Steve's next day to receive a consultation. I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve anytime through investtalk.com or you can call our Irvine, California office at 800-557-5461. But now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Twenty nineteen has already been an exciting time for investors. The economy is strong, the markets are doing well, and you could be too. Start by taking advantage of Stephen Justin's unbiased investing guidance. This is Invest Talk. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call eight 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 ninety nine chart. Eight eight ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now our main talking point is about Tumblr, and Verizon is. Looking, you know, Tumblr is a blogging platform. It's home to four four hundred and sixty five million blogs. That's how many blogs that are out there just on Tumblr, and one hundred seventy two million. Sorry billion posts it's a lot so a lot of content living on tumblr and being posted on tumblr each and every day and verizon didn't mean to own tumblr right they tumblr was acquired by yahoo back in marissa meyer days and tumblr was a popular blogging platform and they're trying to use that to revitalize the yahoo brand didn't really work very well and guess what verizon finally bought 
all of Yahoo for about four and a half billion dollars in 2017. And currently Tumblr is part of kind of their media group, right? The Verizon Media Group. So they're trying to offload this once valuable brand. And they're doing it, they're likely going to do it at a, at a substantial loss. In fact, Verizon attempt to, uh, attempted to write down, or did write down, $4.6 billion of this business last year, basically saying that entire acquisition is worthless. Now, is that completely accurate? Probably not. But clearly it wasn't worth the $4.5 billion that they paid for all of Yahoo. And this just goes to show you that Acquisitions can be a great source of value for investors and companies, but they also can be value destroyers as well. Companies can go out and acquire up-and-coming small companies that have great leadership or great brands or great technology, and fold them into their current business and do some fantastic things. But they can also do the opposite. Apple is one example of, of good, right? They bought, uh, I think it was NXPI. There was a company they bought a while back, 2000, I want ish time frame, 11. And and they made mobile chips and they took all the assets of that business and the expertise and the technology and they used that to slowly grow their ability in the chip arena. And now with the, I think it's A12 Bionic, I, forgot the, I think it's the latest one, they have some of the best mobile chips in the iPhone that anyone makes. And it's all it all started with an acquisition, a small acquisition at the time in relation to the size of Apple, but strongly improved their competitive position as well as their margins, right? Because they don't have to outsource the relationship production, the, you know, the, the CPU that runs an iPhone. So, so Verizon, or at least Yahoo, paid a lot and didn't get much. Give me a call. I want to hear from you. 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, and helping you achieve your financial freedom is the primary objective. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. Hello, my name is John from uh, Texas. Just had a question about an inverse stock, SDS, I guess ultra shares short. The market is an all-time high, and I'm assuming the, the stock is obviously at a lower price. Maybe buy now, and, and, and as the market might or might not drop in the near future, would that receive any sort of increase or uptick and in, in income on a, on a short? So what are your thoughts on inverse stocks, timing, etc.? Thank you so much. 
Well, your last statement is the most important, and that is timing. Uh, it, it, what you're talking about are in, is an inverse ETF, SDS, which is short, double leverage short the NASDAQ. Sorry, no, the S&P, I apologize. And any inverse ETF, and I've said this many times, if you listen to the show for an extended period of time, is that they're trading vehicles. That's what they are. These aren't buy and hold vehicles of any type. And this goes for the ones that are uh, trading short the treasury market, right? It really doesn't matter what you're talking about. These have what is called tracking error. And over time, they do not accurately track the underlying index in an inverse way because of the tracking error. So if you're looking to short the indexes or the S&P in this case for the next week or two weeks, sure, it's fine. But the longer you hold it, the more that tracking error is going to take hold and eat into your profits or increase your losses if you're wrong. And it's just not worth holding for an extended period of time. So as long as you're using for its purpose, this once again goes to all inverse ETFs, or sorry, all leveraged ETFs, because some inverse ETFs are not leveraged, all leveraged ETFs, then you don't have anything to worry about because you're using it for its purpose as a trading vehicle. If you're holding it long term, that's where you're going to get into a lot of trouble. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888 You have about 30 minutes left in the show to get your call in. So if you're going to do it, do it now. Now, whether you're approaching retirement, in retirement, or most likely at some point, all of you are going to be thinking about how to produce income in retirement. Even if you're young and in the growth phase, you need to understand what strategies you can take in order to generate cash flow in retirement. And each approach has its pros and cons. So you got to make sure the one that you choose is right for your particular situation based on risk tolerance, how much assets you have, how disciplined you are, etc. Now the most obvious way to do it, which is how we deploy most of our retired client assets is an income-focused approach. And that means focusing on dividend-paying stocks, bonds, maybe hybrid securities, and working to produce as much cash flow as possible to cover living expenses. Now, the pros of that is you don't really care too much about what the market's doing because you're focused on the income. You most likely won't prematurely deplete your principal. Now the negatives are, yields aren't always guaranteed. Right? Dividends can be cut. If you're investing in risky bonds, for example, companies can default. So, those are the pros and cons. The biggest benefit or, or the, the, the biggest alternative to that is 
just to continue with a well-diversified portfolio, not necessarily focusing on income. Not that you don't get any income or you don't invest in dividend-paying stocks or don't invest in bonds. It's that you're much more broadly diversified. You have some growth names. right? You have some industrial names that maybe only yield 1% or 2%, and it's not doesn't seem like a lot, but it's something, and it diversifies your portfolio. Maybe you're in precious metals that may or may not produce some sort of dividend, depending on if you're investing in the underlying commodity or a miner, for example. And what this does is it creates a lot of diversification. You're not, uh, you're not overexposed to one area of the market or one asset class style, right? Whereas if you're a, an income-focused investor, you're typically a value investor. That's kind of what value investing is. It's focusing on cash flows and dividends. And what you do is you rebalance. And when certain areas of the market do well, every six months, every year, you rebalance away from that down to an average percentage, right? Because if it's outperforming, it's going to grow as a portion of your portfolio. And then you reallocate money to maybe an area of the market that's lagging a little bit. And up that percentage because, you know, it's now a lower percentage of your portfolio. And as you do that rebalance, you're also taking part of that cash flow and using it in retirement. And then there's the hybrid of that, which is a little bit of both. Maybe income focused with a rebalancing structure. So those are different strategies that you can use in retirement. Give me a call. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. Your typical workday can be very busy. Assignments, appointments, responsibilities, obligations. Sometimes you start early and end late. For that reason alone, you may already be looking to the future, to a period when your money, your accumulated assets are working for you and ultimately creating financial freedom. There are many voices suggesting financial planning services, but there's one company, one firm, that offers a balanced variety of strategically designed investment plans. One firm that applies decades of experience to enable a client personalized collaboration. One firm that can show you how to optimize an investment portfolio that fits your lifestyle objectives and risk tolerance limitations. One firm that speaks with a clear, logical, and unbiased voice. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial or visit kppfinancial.com. It is official. Steve Peasley has set a date for his return to San Jose, California. Yes, Steve will meet with listeners in San Jose on Wednesday, June 12th. He'll conduct his no-cost portfolio review consultations. If you set an appointment, Steve can look at your investments and then provide individualized and optimized advice. This is the kind of unbiased guidance you'll need to help you achieve financial freedom. You can register at investtalk.com. This is Invest Talk, and we're taking your calls now. Step up with questions, 888-99-CHART.
8899 chart, 8899 That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's go to Vitaly in Atlanta. Let's talk about Tesla. How you doing? Hey, doing well, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. I love your show and all the education you guys provide us. Hey, no problem. Um, yeah, I'm calling. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about Tesla? Today. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I own Tesla put option um, that expires okay. in June of next year. Um, it's a $240 put option, and I bought about a week ago or two weeks ago when everything was looking great and it was, you know, falling. Uh, but then the last week or two, uh, there's been some news that they've uh, borrowed, like, uh, some money, and it's been going up recently. So I just want to get your opinion on the put option. Uh, I think you have sufficient time. It's a little over a year. Uh, in the first quarter, Tesla burned somewhere in the neighborhood of $900 million. And that was the first quarter. And the second quarter is likely to be uh, a little worse than that for Tesla. And then starting the second half of the year, their, their tax credits declined once again uh, to about $1,750 uh, per vehicle here in the U.S. And then starting at the end of this year, they're completely gone. So, and, and you're talking about competition that's coming in, in with a full $7,500 tax credit. And I just don't see that trajectory of their business turning around much. They don't really have, even with the $2 billion, it's just plugging a, a negative working cap, capital hole that I think is only going to continue uh, for the balance of the year. And then they have some big bond maturities uh, in the fall. So I don't really see that as, uh, I see them, they're going to have to tap markets again. Now, your bet is going to be, can they tap markets again? If they can, and they can continue to sucker uh, the average investor into buying shares, then, you know, Fidelity came in on this, Goldman, uh, I think it was a JP Morgan. There were some big banks that were part of this capital race. Uh, it was pretty, sh I want to say completely shocking, but somewhat shocking that they were able to raise capital. Um, but you know, it's wall street. They, they just want their fees and they, they don't really care uh, about who's buying the shares as long as they get their fees. So I think you have sufficient time. I think they're going to need capital once again, sometime later in the year, early next year, especially after paying off that, uh, the bond that's due at the end of the, you know, in the fall. So I would keep your puts. I think you're fine. Okay. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for the call, Vitaly. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have 20 minutes left, so get your call in sooner rather than later. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the sporting business. Now, I'm a big basketball fan. I love the NBA. I played you know, high school, a little bit in college. Uh, I, I, love, I love basketball. That's my sport. <clears throat> Everyone out there, they have their own sports, right? Some people are big football fans. Big baseball fans, hockey fans, even uh, English Premier League fans that, uh, you know, some people have their sport. Everyone has their sport, right? And for the most part, this strong fan base across various sporting platforms, sporting leagues, 
has driven the value of sports franchise and leagues to all-time highs, record highs. And really, it's all about content. The content boom has created this. You know, this is why you saw what Bryce Harper got a 15-year, what was it, a 10-year contract, a 13-year contract worth 330 million. I think Mike Trout got, what was it, 10 years, 400 million, something like that. It was a crazy amount of money, which, you know, they're superstars. But even average players like uh, Wes Matthews of the of the Indiana Pacers is making over 16 million dollars a year. There are a lot of solid good basketball players that are making tons of money and this is on the backs of content revenue. And Rupert Murdoch actually built his whole empire on this. He bought the Premier League back in 92 for just uh, about 400 million dollars. Now it's worth billions and billions. Uh, he also bought rights to broadcast the NFL for about a billion and a half a few years later, and that turned out to be a huge boon for Fox. So now he's selling off that business to Walt Disney, and part of Disney's sale, or Disney's purchase, is saying Fox has to sell off some of their regional sports networks. And analysts were expecting these regional sport next sport networks to fetch about 20 to 22 billion, and in reality, they only fetched about 14 billion. And this is showing you that cord cutting is changing the game. And I've been saying this for a while. And the first league I think that's going to see this effect is baseball. They've built their business or built their league based on content and the fact that they have 162 games a year. That is by far double pretty much every other league and 10 times as many as the NFL, right? And so they're the ones that are going to be first affected by cord cutting. ESPN has lost 15 million subscribers over the past six years. That's $1.2 billion in lost revenue for Disney. And Disney is pivoting into streaming, right? They're kind of their $6.99 streaming service that's going to be more uh, geared towards, you know, their, their, their programming outside of sports. And... A lot of cable companies have been launching cable light packages where it's very thin, just you know, a handful of, uh, of networks, handful of channels, and cutting out a lot, of, a lot of these regional sport networks. Call them skinny bundles. Now, the argument a lot of people might say is, well, people are less watching cable, true, but they're watching more YouTube and Facebook. And even likes of Amazon's getting into the game, right? They paid $50 million last year to air NFL's Thursday night game. But Fox is paying 10 times that amount to broadcast all the games. So clearly these Digital platforms don't need sports as much as the cable companies, the regional sports networks, ESPN. So if 
less people are paying money into cable packages, cable bundles that flow into these regional sports networks, ESPN, then they're going to have less money to pay for these, which means less money for contracts. And I think it's one of the reasons why Bryce Harper wasn't signed until spring training. Because they're a little more apprehensive. Owners are a little more apprehensive. Why? Because TV money, I think, is at its peak. And general managers are going to have to reduce payroll. And I would argue we are at peak sports. Because not everyone's willing to pay up for ESPN and all these regional sports networks. So I think this is going to impact a lot of publicly traded companies, like a Disney. And maybe the likes of Facebook, YouTube, they can get them at bargains and build their own network uh, based on on sports, but not paying as much because they don't need it as bad. They have better bargaining chip. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. You've heard Steve and I say this many times. There are really only two emotions that drive the market, and that's fear and greed. So let me focus for a moment on fear. And the truth is that many investors experience fear in their own way. But a lot of it has to do with the fear of their own portfolio and how much risk they're taking in their own portfolio. So my advice is to take our free risk analysis questionnaire at investtalk.com. What Steve and I do for listeners is look at their current portfolio, say, this is how much risk you're really willing to take. You're taking too much, or maybe you're taking too little. Usually it's too much. And then we can recommend a strategy that works best for you and your goals. But now we're taking your questions live. So give us a call, 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. If, to any degree, you are unsure about the consistency of your skill set with regard to managing your portfolio, now may be a smart time for you to ask KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein for individualized guidance. You can start with a no-obligation phone call to the KPP Financial Office in Irvine, California, or send Steve and Justin a message through investtalk.com. The Invest Talk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen, Justin. This is Shannon in West Palm Beach, Florida. I had a question about 3M Company, ticker MMM. My mom gifted me, like, I want to say six or $7,000 worth of shares years ago. And she worked for the company for a long time. And I haven't really touched them since. I don't know what they're worth now, but as you may know, the company took an all-time hit. I think it went down like 13 or 14%. You know, I was kind of getting ready to maybe transfer those shares over to my Roth IRA or, or maybe even in, just kind of cash them out and use them for something. I have other retirement funds going, so I do invest and everything like that. But um, just want to get your you know, opinion on should I sell those stocks right now or, or what's going on with the company? I mean, do you recommend holding it at this point for a long time or I don't know how long it'll take to recover or should I just get out? Thanks for everything you guys do. Thanks. 
All right, he's looking at 3M Corporation. It's certainly taken a big hit from about $220 a share pre-earnings, uh, what, week and a half, two weeks ago. And now we're at $185 a share. So definitely down about, what, 16, 17% or so. So it's uh, it's down on its luck for now. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact the economy is slowing. You know, it's a diversified industrial name, $100 billion market cap. So that's... a uh, that's a certainly a large company and not a ton of debt for its size, only about $14 billion in debt, which is not too bad. Trading at about 13 times enterprise value to EBITDA, not cheap, not expensive at those multiples, but revenues are declining, negative 5% year over year, which isn't good, but their return on equity long-term, 55%. That's very, very strong. Even uh, you know dipped a little bit for a while, now it's re rebounding. I, I still like 3M. Uh, you know, if, if you're, it's a long-term play. Now, my biggest question is, what percentage of your overall portfolio is it? Is it is it 10%? Is it 5%? Is it 50%? So it's hard for me to say whether you should sell back some of it or not. Uh, if it's over 15%, I probably w still would sell some back. Um, if not, I probably rate it for a little rebound and continue to rebalance it to maybe three to five percent of your overall portfolio. Might also be a good time to transfer those into your Roth. Like you said, this is, you can transfer stock into a Roth as your contribution for the year. And the fact that it is at a lower stock price, then you can transfer more shares, etc. So that's something to think about as well. But, you know, long-term 3M is a good company. Uh, it's down in its luck because it's an industrial name and you know, the, the global trade is declining. Uh, it's that kind of down on its luck. So, don't get too down on it just because it's down. Uh, long term, it's still a very, very good company, um, but I wouldn't be too worried about it, except unless you, you know, focusing on the next six months, right? Uh, odds are probably continuing a little bit lower for the next six months just because the economy. But overall, long term, I still like 3M. 888.99 chart, 888.992.4278. We have 10 minutes left. But here's an investing term you should know about, and that's tax efficiency. What it is is an attempt to minimize tax liability when given many different financial decisions. A financial decision is said to be tax efficient if the tax outcome is lower than an alternative financial structure that achieves the same end. For example, a taxpayer can make income-producing investments in a tax-deferred account such as an IRA, 401k, etc., and then when you earn income on that, well, that's all tax deferred. It's deferred until you withdraw that money. If you put that same investment into a normal taxable brokerage account, now your tax on that income becomes less tax efficient. So it's always important to consider that, but I also will help people understand is a lot of people try to avoid paying taxes, and in doing so, they avoid achieving the goal that they're set out for, right? So for example, you want to reduce risk in your portfolio. I say, well, I'm going to pay taxes if I sell something. Yeah, but your ultimate goal is to reduce risk, maybe or maybe to diversify, for example. So that should be your goal number one. Then how do you do that in the most tax efficient way? That's what you have to think about. 
too many people put tax as your number one priority, and that usually is a mistake. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to hear from you. 888 chart. On the next Invest Talk, three ways to turbocharge your job hunt now that unemployment is at a 49 year low. That story tomorrow. But now, Justin is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. 888 99 Chart. Let's go to Sam in, in, sorry, in San Jose. He wants to talk about taxes. How are you doing, Sam? Yeah. Good, uh, Justin. Thank you. Thank you for the show. Very good show. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, so you just you just mentioned that you know one can transfer uh, a stock into a Roth IRA. So, if you have uh, built-in capital gains in the stock, so you have to pay taxes, or how does it work? Uh, I'm not a CPA, uh, to be honest with you. So, I don't want to um, I don't want to give you. The, the wrong answer on that. Um, there, are, I'm sure there's there's going to be some tax implications of that. Uh, all I'm saying is you don't have to put in you don't have to put in your um, you know actual cash. You can you know so you don't have to pay the transaction costs, for example. Um, so that's really the benefit is just not paying those transaction costs to sell an asset and then put it into an IRA and then you know buy it again. So there are there's still likely going to be tax consequences uh, for that, just like it would be income to you. Um, but it's more to do with avoiding the transaction costs. Oh, that's all. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like okay. you're going to avoid... The government's still going to want their taxes. <laughs> Say that. Thanks for the call, Sam. Yeah, yeah. 888-99-CHART, 888 Let's talk a little bit about mortgages. And... Here's a few things that I thought this is a great article. It was talking about the pros and cons of having a mortgage. And you know, you think of a mortgage and there's you're obviously paying interest. And so that's a negative, but there are some pros. The first is actually helps your credit score. And you might be going, Well, why? You're you borrowed money. Well, because what it does is it increases the mix of credits that you have. Right? So if you have an auto loan and credit cards and uh, a mortgage and maybe student loans and maybe a business loan, you know, different types of loans. It helps your mix of credit types and improves your credit score. So that's a positive. The negative is obviously it's going to inc- increase the cost of owning a home long term. The longer you keep that mortgage, the more interest you're going to pay. So that's why we always say pay a little early, maybe add extra payments, and definitely try to get it paid off by the time you retire. Now, a pro is the less money you have paid off in your mortgage, the more cash you're going to have on hand. So there is definitely a delicate balance. You don't want to be house rich and cash poor because sometimes you need that cash now, quickly. And it's not always easy to tap the equity in your home. So make sure you have a balance between savings that cushion your lifestyle, cushion your needs, and potential large bills that come due uh, based on serious life events, like medical, for example.
Now, one pro that's less impactful than it used to be is tax deduction. Now you can only deduct, you can itemize on returns or on interest on up to $750,000 in mortgage debt. So this is why the kind of higher end of the housing market, especially in kind of the coastal areas where the average home is over $750,000, it's made it less attractive to have a mortgage. In addition, the new higher standard deduction for 2019, 24400 for married couples and 12200 for individuals means that less families, less people fall into the itemized category. And so, yeah, they might have mortgage interest accounting, uh, adding up to $10,000, but they're not itemizing anymore, so that doesn't matter. Still going to take their standard deduction. So that pro is less impactful than it used to be, and why one of the big reasons why the housing market continues to slowly weaken, and this is kind of what I was saying for a while, is this impact that the tax plan has had on the housing market wasn't something that's going to be felt immediately. It just starts to creep into the decision-making process and is changes some people from potential buyers to maybe continue to rent. And so... This is something that's going to continue to slowly eat away at the high-priced areas of the housing market in our country. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program, and I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Please come back tomorrow. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.